0: You are listening to The Ingenious Podcast, where God's Word is shared to build undisputed champions and mighty redeemers. This message is brought to you by The Ingenious Network. Enjoy the message. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are grateful, we are thankful for another moment. We ask... In the name of Jesus, that Holy Spirit be our shield, be our guide. Give us wisdom, give us understanding as we delve into your word. May your name be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight we are going to talk about seeking God. In our previous discussions, we've looked about ways of seeking God. We've talked about the meditations. We've talked about the intentionality. We've talked about the thinking. We've talked about all those things, but today we want to take the conversation a step further by concentrating on just two aspects. You see, whenever we talk about seeking God, one of the things that as believers we would have to deal with is what I call the heart and the mind issue. Whenever it comes to seeking God, we have to deal with the heart and a mind issue. Uh, last week we were talking about God being spirit and God as a spirit would have to be contacted on that level. The, the things that God speaks unto us. Jesus said that the words that are speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So you have to realize that the communications of God to us, they are on a on a level that is in terms of human comprehension very difficult to understand the the speakings of God the Word of God hearing God hearing his word hearing his voice when God speaks it is very difficult for the natural mind to receive his voice and some some people will say well that's because god is powerful no it's not because god is powerful it's because of the position of the heart and the mind you know in seeking god the position of the heart and the mind is very crucial to our journey at least from my perspective growing up we've been told that to seek god you have to pray you have to read your bible you have to do a b c d you know you have to meditate all these things that we talk about reading the bible meditating praying thinking through the word all these things if you have not settled the issue of the heart and the mind it will be very very difficult to hear and to discover who god is So we remember the story of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. We are told in Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 3, that after John the Baptist baptized Jesus, he saw a similitude of a dove settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dear son. In him I take great delight. How many of us remember that story? That is in Matthew chapter 3, when you read the the latter parts of the verse, as when you probably start reading from verse 4. 15 coming will make a lot of sense. 16 and 17, okay. We all remember this story, right? Now, when you read this story, you realize that the story is told from different perspectives. It is told from different perspectives, according to the gospel writers. When we read Luke chapter 3 also, it tells us that Jesus was baptized by john when you read luke chapter 3 and after jesus was baptized the heavens opened the holy spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven said you are my dear son in you i take great delight but when you look at the context of the story you realize that people heard different things some said they they heard the lightning some said that they heard the thunder some said that it was the voice of god this we find in john's gospel chapter 12 verse 29 he said and the crowd stood there and heard it and said that it had thundered others said an angel spoke to him so when God spoke when the voice from heaven spoke some people heard the thunder some people heard a voice but then uh, can we go back like two verses back like from 27 so that if we can get the contest and you realize that whenever God speaks, he says that whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life in this world, he will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am, you see, that's the key word. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. So 27. 28 says, Now is my soul trouble, and that shall say, Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So remember, Jesus is praying to the Father. He is getting ready to die. His soul is in anguish. He is beginning to feel the turmoil of death creep up on him then he goes to pray to his father and disciples hear his father respond to him now remember he is with his disciples these are the people that are close to him these are the people that are supposed to know him better than anybody else and yet as we see in verse 29 when the voice spoke and you know all this time Jesus was speaking to the father Those who were with him concluded that, one, it was thunder, two, it was the voice of an angel. What does that tell you? It tells us that for us to seek God, our heart and our mind it has to be where Christ's heart and mind is. It's about the position of the heart and the mind. Because if the heart and the mind is dislodged from the place allocated to it by God, Whenever God speaks, their heart and their mind, they are going to misinterpret the voice of God. Now remember, everybody heard a sound. The voice of God was a sound. Everybody in that place heard a sound. But as to the interpretation of the sound, it was only those whose heart and mind were where Christ is that could interpret it to say that the Father spoke words of comfort to him those who are spiritual will say that a heavenly being responded to him and those who were with him but were carnal minded will say that there was just a sound of thunder in the heavens so the heart and the mind issue what is the heart and the mind issue the heart and the mind issue is the most crucial thing in our pursuit of god Now, you have to understand that when we talk about the heart and the mind, we are talking about two different chambers of the human vessel. The heart usually deals with the spirit of man, and the mind deals with the soul of man. So whenever we talk about the heart and mind issue, you have to understand that the flesh does not come in. The flesh is not being spoken about. Anytime that you read in the Bible and you you see a mentioning of the soul or the heart with regards to seeking god pursuing god it is speaking about the spirit and the soul so your spirit houses your heart your soul houses your mind so the heart and the mind issue is consequently a spirit and a soul issue now you have to understand that the flesh It's not being spoken about here. The soul is the realm of man. The mind is the realm of man. Every human vessel functions by the mind. Now, when we talk about the mind, we are not talking literally about the brain, but we are talking symbolically about the functioning of the human person. It is the place of the faculty, the place of decisions, the place where things are reasoned out. The place where things are sieved, shifted, mixed together to make sense. So that is what the heart and the soul is about. And I need you to remember this because we are going to say some things, right? Now, I'm going to say this in person, then maybe in the course of our discussion, I might say something else. Right, so listen to me. Your soul is the human being. The human being is the soul. Remember in the book of Genesis chapter number two, the Bible says that he breathed into the man, the clay that he had formed from the ground of the earth. And he breathed into Adam and Adam became a living soul. And Adam became a living soul. So the soul is entirely man, the living soul. That is your mind. So you, the mind can function by itself. And that is why some people, you realize sometimes you take certain decisions, you make certain comments. Then later on you are like, ah, but me, choir, why did I say it this way? I could have said it that way. Why did I act this way? I could have acted this other way. Because the mind is a living being. It is what we call the living soul. Then we also know the story of the spirit. The story of the spirit is found in the book of Job. And Elihu, Elihu, in his discourse said, There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Lord gives it understanding. There is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Lord gives it understanding job 32 verse 8 so the spirit moves by inspiration the soul is man as a carnal being right so when you are functioning by your mind you are functioning as a carnal being if you are functioning by your spirit you are functioning as an inspired being as an inspired being how does it factor in seeking god let's go to first chronicles chapter 28 now in first chronicles chapter 28 david is about to die and as david is about to die he's going to advise his son solomon as to how he can be a good king and in david's discourse he is going to reveal to solomon the secret to being a successful king and so he starts his discourse By gathering all the leaders in his government and telling them that he has chosen his son Solomon to be king because God has told him that he's going to build a temple for him. And he goes on to tell Solomon that I have done all these things and I have gathered all the resources you need for the building of the temple of God. So when we start reading from verse 8, it says this, In the sight of all Israel, and the Lord's assembly, and in the hearing of our God, I say this, this is David speaking to his son, to his government officials. I say this, this is my testimony, this is my charge to you. This is my instruction to you, my son Solomon carefully observe all the commands of the lord your god so that you may possess this good land and may leave it as a permanent inheritance for your children after you and you solomon my son obey the god of your father and serve him with a submissive attitude serve him with a submissive attitude and a willing spirit now remember David had discovered the key to seeking god a willing spirit an inspired spirit so submit to god be absolutely submissive to him in your attitude now remember attitude is a function of the soul the soul is a place where emotions are produced and so if you if we say this person is rude this person is arrogant this person is proud this person is carlos all these things are expressions of the soul and they are attitudes that we exhibit to people these are all functionings of the soul so david is advising his son and he's telling his son solomon that and you solomon know the god of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind But the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought if you seek him. Now, this is the ESV. The NET says that serve him with a submissive attitude and a willing spirit. But the Lord examines all minds and understands every motive of one's thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you abandon him, he will reject you permanently. So the charge is that let us be submissive in our attitude to God. Now we are talking about seeking God. We are talking about the issue of the heart and the mind because this is something that really worries a lot of people. Three days ago when the Lord started taking me through this and I started meditating on it. It's really helped me a lot in the sense that I now understand what it means in Isaiah when he says that you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind stayed on him. So remember, God wants your whole heart and your mind submitted to him. And that is how we seek him. And what is the implication of this statement? I said that the mind is the faculty of emotion. So what does it then mean to submit your emotions to God? To submit your emotions to God means to learn to filter and experience life through the emotions of God. Does it mean that God wants you as a human being to abandon your feelings as man? No right? God doesn't want you to abandon your emotions as man. What God wants you to do is to submit your emotions to him, right? Because the moment we abandon our emotions and say that God, let me experience only what you experience. Well, it's literally like becoming a robot, Because it means that you are not going to get the ability to express your free will. Now, the soul is what makes it possible for us to express our free will. So without the soul, we don't have free will. And God does not want to impose himself on anybody. Satan wants to impose himself on everybody. God doesn't want to do that. So God wants you to willingly choose him. So, to submit your emotions to God is whenever anything happens, you have to train your mind to literally think through what has happened to you from a heavenly perspective. From a heavenly perspective, what does it mean? For instance, we read in the book of Acts that the disciples went out to preach, especially in Acts chapter four. When they go out to preach, they are beaten. They are they are persecuted. And we are told that they came back rejoicing. After they had been beaten, they came back rejoicing. Their reason was simple. Their reason was that now we have been counted worthy to suffer like our Lord. Now, heaven has given us the honor to go through what our Lord Jesus went through for standing with you. Somebody will say that, okay, when I went, they poured water on me, so I won't go again. But somebody too will say, oh, when I went, they poured water on me, the way I was happy, finally today, I know what it means to be persecuted for the sake of Christ. Because the Bible said that, blessed are they who are persecuted. So he is, you see, he's using... The Bible, the scripture, to interpret his experience. So to submit your emotions to God means to learn to use scripture to interpret your experience. You go to a place, you have applied for a job, you have every assurance that this job is yours. Then all of a sudden, you appear in the place and they say that we are sorry, but we give the job to somebody else. Yeah, are two ways of thinking through it you can either say that it's a demon that made it happen that way or you use scripture to interpret your experience why is it that this door will open and all of a sudden this door was shut is God trying to tell me something because it looked too good not to be true so now I'm going to pray and ask God God why did this door suddenly shut did it shut because there was something that was done there that I wasn't aware that he wanted to deliver me from or it is just Satan trying to block me from coming into this space knowing that if I come into this space I am I am going to literally mess up his kingdom so you see it means that you are interpreting your experience through scripture another way of looking through seeking God with your heart is the experience of Job with the experience of Job, you realize that heaven makes a decision on the things that are supposed to happen in the earth. Then all of a sudden, he loses all his property. When we read Job chapter 1, you are going to realize that Satan goes to God the first time. I always say this, a lot of people don't realize that Satan went to God two times concerning Job. So when you read chapter 1, you are going to see the, his first encounter with God. And in this first encounter, he was given permission to destroy everything around him. So his properties, then his children, then his fields, then everything he owned. He lost everything. And Job said, God gave it to me. He has taken it back. And I, I just bless his name. And, and Satan said that, well, I try to touch him so that his soul will react to God. But I can see that, His heart is not in his resources. He has learned to train his soul to interpret his experience by the benevolence of God. And so now that I realize that he is not perturbed by me destroying the resources around him, I have come a second time in Job chapter 2. This time I am asking for his body. I want to touch his person. And so God says, okay, go and touch his person but you are not allowed to kill him so he comes and the bible says that he afflicts him and there are souls that breaks out all over job's body now when these souls came job was obviously a cast away he, he was ostracized from society his wife said that curse god and die then he he said something When his wife said, curse God and die. He said he couldn't do that. He couldn't curse God and die. But then he began to ask questions. He began to think through his experience based on scripture. So he said that it is written that the righteous shall not be destroyed. And why is it that I am a righteous person? And yet all these calamities are happening to me. And he kept on asking question upon question. Then finally, God appeared to answer His questions. So, when you look at the experience of Job, you see the experience of the issue of the heart and the issue of the mind. When God deals with us, he deals with us according to our heart. So, he told Satan, Don't touch his heart. His spirit is mine. That is my communication channel to him. You can touch everything else, but don't touch his communication channel because if he's going to survive this thing, He's going to need my voice. He's going to need to hear my voice. He's going to be, he has to feel inspired by the spirit. And so Job goes on. And after that, we see his friends come back to accuse him based on the place of the soul. Then we also see Elihu bring an advice to him based on the spirit. And you realize later on when you read the chapter 40s, That God asked his friends who advised him based on the soul to come back and beg. But Elihu who spoke to him based on the spirit was not asked to come and beg. The issue of the soul is this. You have to learn to interpret your experiences through scripture. If you are not well versed in scripture, if you are not well, you see the ability to also understand scripture is dependent on the heart. Because it is God that gives understanding to the heart. For the heart to interpret scripture to receive a revelation. So God must first, you must first learn to build your spirit. The issue of the heart is all about we have lost our place in God because of the fall. Now we have been brought back into the fold of God. But because we have not been schooled in the way of God, we have to now train our faculties and our spirit to know the ways of God. When we look at 2 10 Chronicles 15 12 to 15, and they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord. Now, this is Israel, right? This is Israel entering into a covenant to seek the Lord. The God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. So remember, their heart is the spirit, their mind is the soul. So, all their heart, with all their heart and with all their mind. But whoever would not seek their Lord, the God of Israel, should, should be put to death, whether he is young verse fourteen. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets, and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath they had sworn with their heart with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire so remember the effect of desire is the emotions of the soul the effect of desire is the emotions of the soul and he was found by them so it means that if you are going to seek god especially in in submitting your your attitude or your soul or your emotions to god you must learn to correct your desire what are you desiring what are your expectations? What are you looking for in life? What is your desire about? Why are you a Christian? Is it the gift that is fascinating you? Is it wearing a shoe and, or wearing your, your sandals or your slippers or your heels and dressing in a very fashionable manner and going to church, holding your Bible? Is that, is that what it is to you that makes you feel like you are, you are serving God? See? The effect of desire is the emotions of the soul. So if you are going to seek God, in training your emotions or your faculty to seek God, you have to train your desire. For your desire to be the things that draws God to you, it has to be that. So how do you train your desire? You have to train your desire by refining your desire by the word of God, by heavily ideals. Now, what do I mean by heavenly ideals? Now, heavenly ideals are built on these pillars, right? It is the pillar of righteousness. It is the pillar of holiness. Then it is the pillar of justice. Then it is the pillar of honor. These four things, these four things. If you are going to refine your desire, you have to filter your desire through, through the sieve of righteousness, the sieve of holiness, the sieve of justice, and the sieve of honor what do I mean? What do I mean by righteousness? This is what I mean by righteousness. Righteousness is all about right thinking, right thinking, right thinking. Now, let me ask a question. Assuming that you love God and you promise God that God, I will not cheat in an exam. I will sit by myself in this exam. If I pass, I pass. If I feel, I fail. And you go and sit in the exam then you realize that everything that you have learned that day if you don't cheat you will not only fail but you repeat the class and you let all your friends go ahead of you what would you do so i went to a, a bible course i went to do a bible course when we were writing exams and i was there with bishops senior reverend ministers and when it was time for exams, they started copying, they started asking questions. Then I'm like, hey, are these no people men of integrity? <laughs> <laughs> Right, and you are genuinely sad and repentant, and you go to God and you say that Lord, I messed up this thing I did, it was it was a mistake. I i really and I truly believe it was a mistake, and I own up to it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that I brought this honor to your name. So the question is: after you confess your sins, how do you know that God has forgiven you? Or let's since you all like Tolies Tollies, let's say you go and steal still in there you i know that you won't like it that one there yeah, it's a sin in your mind to stolen is there you can't reconcile that it's a sin and you are sad that you have done this error and you've owned up to it and you've told god about it and god has forgiven and and you ask for forgiveness the question is how do you know that god has forgiven you and the question is, for how long should you beg that Lord forgive me? Because me, I've asked for forgiveness for a situation for almost a year now. D- does it mean that in my heart, I? when was I forgiven? That's the question. At what point did God forgive me? Was it when I said it the 10th time? Was it when I said it the first time? Was it when I said it the second time? Was it the hundredth time? When was I forgiven? If you don't know how to think righteously, you can spend five years asking God to forgive you for something that does not exist in his books. So righteousness is about right thinking. It's about the right interpretation of scripture. That is what righteousness is. It's about learning to understand the right processes of God. So it means that you have to understand what the scripture says. The scripture says that if I confess my sins sincerely from my heart, I am forgiven. God has forgiven me. He no longer remembers my sin. And so me bringing up that issue over and over and over again, it only means that I have not been taught or I am not skilled in the word of righteousness. The Bible says that they are like babes. And and they are not skilled in the word of righteousness. So if you are a babe and you are not skilled in the word of righteousness, you will not be able to rightly interpret the, the scripture, especially when it comes to how God deals with us his children so that is what the pillar of righteousness is about now the pillar of holiness we have spent so much time on it i don't think i have to go over it again and again if you really want to understand what holiness is about you can check out our episode on the uncommon life the uncommon lifestyle when you check out that episode you are going to understand what the pillar of uncommonness is about Now, holiness is all about uncommonness, right? Hebrews 5.13 says that, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. So it means that your attitude and your behavior, when it comes to thinking through scripture, it is going to be like a child. It is not going to be mature. So that is the pillar of righteousness. The pillar of righteousness, if you want to stand strong in the pillar of righteousness, we are talking about refining your desire, refining your desire. The effect of desire is emotion. So it means that if your desires are purified or filtered properly, you are going to produce the right emotions and you will be able to submit your emotions or your faculty to God so that you'll be able to express the emotions of God as you should as a child of God now the second one is holiness the filter of holiness now we say that holiness is all about choosing that which is uncommon because when you talk about holiness holiness in scripture means the uncommon things the opposite of holy is not sin The I'm repeating again the opposite of holy is not sin in Ghana and in, in Africa When somebody is not holy, the person is sinful. Please, the fact that the person is sinful doesn't mean the person is not holy. Holiness has nothing to do with sin. Holiness is all about uncommonness. Choosing that which is uncommon. God is uncommon. So when you are making your decisions, you take the decisions that are not common to man. For instance, chastity is not a common thing to man. It is very difficult for the soul to sit down and say that I will not have sex. It it is unnatural to the soul, right? So it means that for you as a believer, to train your, your soul to recognize that, no, this desire to have sex, whilst I have not married, it is not called love, it is called lust. Your ability to diagnose that that is lust, that is going to be the work of righteousness. Then, The work of holiness will help you to choose to remain chaste. I know that some people, you have already lost it. You have already lost it sorry for you but god is merciful if you come to him you will not hold your sins against you. but if you have not lost it then the filter of holiness says that keep it be a virgin and be proud about it don't allow those who have become common to make you feel bad that you are not common everything that is not common has value do so your virginity has value especially in the sight of god but if you have lost it well that's another story for another day i'm not saying that god holds it against you I'm I'm not saying that God will say that when you came to cry, you were not a virgin. No, that's not what he will do. God will receive you in any form that you come. But if you come to him and you are in your state of innocence, then I encourage you by the spirit of God to stay uncommon. So how do you stay uncommon? It's by learning to appreciate the value of being uncommon when you are holy the bible says that those who are holy will see me so if you appreciate your uncommonness you know that you are positioning yourself to be in a place where you can see god be that holy for i am holy your holiness means that you identify with god then i talked about the third pillar is the is the pillar of justice Justice in the system of God means hatred for wickedness. Wickedness in the Bible stands for everything that disobedience represents. So when God comes out to give justice to his children, what he is coming to do is that he is going to pay back all those who are workers of iniquity. So justice is pure hatred for wickedness. And so when you read the Psalms, one of the qualities that David, we are told, has is that David said, I hate all wicked people. Like the wicked people are not those who say, I will not pay your school fees, even though they, they have money. No, you can't say that person is wicked. That's, that's not wickedness. The, the interpretation of man's wickedness is different. When you are hungry and your friend is also hungry and he says, I won't give you, I'll eat. I will eat all my food. I won't give you that. That's no wickedness. That's just me telling you that the way I'm hungry, my stomach can only appreciate it when it's full. Right. So you have to understand that. Let's read Hebrews chapter 1 verse 9. Hebrews 1 9. Now remember, Hebrews 1 9 is a Messianic psalm. It's a quote of a Messianic psalm, right? It's a quote of a Messianic psalm. And so as you are reading it, you have to know that it is referencing a past book. He says that you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with, with the oil of gladness above your associates. So has anointed you with an oil above your associates. You see, justice is like it's a legal thing. It's and with legality, it's all about authority and hierarchy, about order. And so when you begin to hate wickedness, one of the things that God does is that He He elevates you above the darkness. He brings you on top so that the wickedness will be will be below you so that you can judge it. So the hatred for wickedness. These are all quotes from the Old Testament. What we are reading in Hebrews 1:9, right? when you read um psalm 45 verse 7 he said that you love righteousness you hate wickedness therefore your god this is where he's quoting from psalm 45 right psalm 45 verse 7 that's where he's quoting from when you read isaiah chapter 61 you know what it says you know jesus quoted it the first time he entered into the synagogue and he read the scripture said that this day is this word fulfilled the spirit of the lord is upon me because the lord has anointed me to preach good news then he says that to proclaim liberty to the captives the opening of the prison to those who are bound now the 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 liberty and the opening of the prison is the work of justice so if you don't hate wickedness you cannot do the work of justice and the work of justice for the believer is dealing with demons having a strong hatred for demons and everything that demons and their works represent. That is what justice is. That is all the justice system of God. The the retribution, the vengeance. It's all about God's utter distaste and disgust for demons and their work. And that is why when we read this, when we read the scripture, it says that for this reason, the son of man came that he would destroy the works of the devil. Jesus is interested in destroying the works of Satan. That is the filter of justice. So if you are here, right, and you see evil going on and your heart is okay, you have to check yourself. You have to check your desire. The fourth one is the pillar of honor. The pillar of honor. I don't think we'll be able to go through it all so wherever we get to in the next five minutes we will end there and i'll see if i'll take questions if there's no question then we close. so the filter of anna the filter of anna is what we call the spirit of the fear of the lord the spirit of the fear of the lord you remember the story of joseph in potiphar's house when his wife said that your master has given you his entire house. But your master he doesn't stay. He's always traveling. So now that he's giving you everything, I am also part of the property. So befatist, Joseph said, no I cannot do that. And what was his reason? He said how can I sin? How can I commit this sin? against my god how can i commit this sin against my god that is what we call honor it is having such respect for the person of god for the position of god that god is a king like most people don't know right that it is only human beings that have the audacity to call god abba my father the angels don't call him abba the angels always refer to him as lord savior the king they don't call him abba When an angel speaks and an angel uses the word Abba, the angel will say, your God, your father, your Abba. He will never say it in reference to himself because they they are created in such a way that they have so much reverence for the name of God that they can only relate to him by his position. That is king. That is Lord. That is savior. That is Messiah. That is deliverer. That is the captain of the host. So, honor is about respect for God. You know, when we look at our fathers and our mothers, especially in the Orthodox churches, you are going to find something very fascinating. When they come into the church and they are wearing a hat, they will take off the hat, they will put the hat under their armpit and they will sit down. Why? Because it is a sign of honor. It is is non-verbally communicating to God that I understand that you are supreme, you are majestic, you are great, and protocol demands that I have respect for who you are. You also realize that some of them, when they are giving offering, they bow before they put their offering in their bowl. What are they saying? They are saying that even though we might not see you, we know you are here and you are great. And our gift and our offering is to you, our great end. So we bow as we give our offering. 21st century Gen Z Y2K generation. Utter disrespect for God. Some people sit in the church with their with their hearts turned to the back. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that when you do that, God is offended. No, I doubt that he is offended. But it only tells the angels and the entire heavenly host and the saints in glory, the spirit of just men who are made perfect. It tells them that you are young and you are yet to understand who God is. Because you see, when you understand who he is, a lot of the arguments that people are advancing against the church with regards to what to wear, what not to wear, how to appear before him. When you understand the matter of honoring God, that issue will be settled in your heart. You wouldn't need me to tell you that dress this way to church or dress this way to appear before God in his temple. No, you would not. You will just understand that it is the right thing to do. Now, in saying that, I want you to understand that I am more modern than you. So don't think that I am advocating that if you are a lady and you wear trousers, you are going to hell. That is not what I am saying. And if you are a a man and you have a long hair, you are going to hell. That's not what I am advocating. What I am saying is that when you understand God's honor, if you understand what it means to have reverence for God, for the name of Christ for the person of Christ, for the person of the Holy Spirit, for the person of the Father. If you know who they are, the person and their position, you see, honor is about the person and their position. Now, Akufwadu is somebody's classmate, but the fact that he is your classmate, now when you see him, you cannot just walk up to you and say, hey, Jack, okay, cool. school school. No? Maybe when you see, when we were growing up in school, our, our seniors used to beat us. So maybe... He was your junior and you used to beat him in school. And so when you get there, you say, Hey, junior, when I I end up, what happened? What bonnetico? The way the police will handle you, eh?" you wish you were not born that day why because even though you know him to be a classmate his position and his person has changed because of the seats that he occupies. so if you want to understand honor it's about understanding the seat that god occupies when you understand this these four filters when you understand these four filters right The righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God, and the honor of God. It will reform your desire. You know, the Bible talks about the renewing of the mind. Righteousness, right? The renewing of the mind. You renew your mind by learning doctrine. Listen to me. Christianity is about doctrine. If you're a Christian and you don't know the doctrines of Christianity, you have to go back you have to go back to go and learn doctrines because it is doctrines that will help you to stand sure in God. Doctrines. It will help you stand sure in God. If you don't know doctrine as a believer, you'll be very miserable. I want to read a scripture about doctrine. When you know doctrine, it will help you come to what we call the knowledge of the truth the knowledge of the truth this we will see in second timothy chapter 2 verse 25 it says that if we correct those who are in opposition that is when we use doctrine the doctrines to correct them it will lead to repentance and that repentance will lead to what we call the knowledge of the truth now paul in advising timothy also told him this that pay attention to yourself and to your teaching other versions will say doctrine that is first timothy chapter 4 verse 16 pay attention to yourself timothy, and to your teaching that is the doctrine when you persevere in these things he said you will do well to ensure your salvation and the salvation of those who are listening to you so if you know doctrine and you understand doctrine me as a reverend minister and a, a teacher of the word if i understand doctrine it will save me and it will save those who are listening to me and i know that are lots of you you have been saved listening you have been freed from certain things that kept you in bondage right so doctrine is very 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 important That is why I'm encouraging all of you to make the learning of the Bible. You see, most of us, we learn the Bible without a plan. I'm not talking about daily devotions. I'm talking about learning the Bible with a plan. You have to understand what it means to be saved. The doctrine of salvation, Christology, who is Christ? What does he represent? What is he? Who is he? Where is he? How is he? (laughs) you have to understand the doctrine of Christ so many doctrines in the bible or in the church that there are church doctrines like if you belong to seventh day adventists if you are charismatic if you are orthodox we have church doctrines if you are catholic church doctrine i'm not talking about church doctrines church doctrines are always different bible doctrines are the same so i'm talking about bible doctrines not church doctrine the methodists do things better than the car so doctrine I have to learn please go and learn doctrine it's very very important when you understand these things it is going to affect the way you think it's going to affect the way you see god it's going to affect the way you you Relate to God. But the issues of the heart and the mind is all about these things. It's about bringing your soul into subjection and learning to magnify and amplify the effect of your spirit in your life. Right. And so the only way we can do this is when we understand the place of desire. You see, to seek is about desire. If if you are not interested in something, you, you will not be interested in pursuing it. Some of you, a typical example is your education. Some of you, the courses you did in school, if God should give you a second chance, you will never choose that course because you never liked that course. The only way you followed in that course is because, what, your father said so. Your mother says so. The university gave it to you and so you wanted to go to school. So if that was the only one available, I will go. So it means that you have learned things you don't desire. You you have learned things that are not useful for you. And that's why you don't remember them you see the difference between the brilliant students and the not brilliant students is that they are interested in what they say i want to say this there is nothing like somebody who is daft there is nothing like that it doesn't exist the only reason why somebody will be said to be that kind of person is because they are not in the field of their strength imagine if Gyan was a mathematician can you imagine or an engineer or the building that you build a building engineer or Every, everything you will build, you will collapse. Because Wahuuna knows how with the maths. So if you force Asamojan, instead of encouraging him to be a footballer and you encourage him to, by all means, do elective math, he will get F. And so he getting F doesn't mean we're born. It only means that he is not in the place of his strength. And that is what education is supposed to do. One day we talk, we have that conversation. Education is to help us identify the place of our strength. And that is why sometimes these structured curriculum and we being forced to take certain subjects, even though personally I think it's it's okay. But it is not okay because it also affects people's confidence. Somebody is called to be a carpenter. When you give that person wood, it's going to transform wood to the most magnificent thing that you have ever seen but this same person if you put this person in a chemistry class it will be bombed right so that idea that somebody is daft or somebody is not intelligent it's a lie it's a lie when you have learned righteousness you will understand all these things this is just by the way so the issue of the heart and the mind is summed up in 1 corinthians chapter 10 verse 1 to 5 this is how we close if you have any question, you can ask. I Paul myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble. Hey. He says he's humble. You know, you have issues with people who say, I am humble. I am righteous. I am God's favorite. Me, I don't sin. Uh, these are all issues of righteousness. If you understand it, you realize that it's no pride in saying that. He says that I am humble when face to face with the babu toward you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness, that confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of what according to the flesh although we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds we destroy every argument and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ right so it's all about bringing these things to the obedience of Christ. Your thoughts is going to have your imaginations, you're going to have your thinking. Apostle Paul is saying that all these things, what affects it, they are not of earth source, they are of spirit source. If they are of spirit source, it means that you will need a greater influence in the spirit to counter it. And that is why we are encouraging you to work on the heart. Deal with the heart issue. When you deal with the heart issue, the, 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 the mind issue will also be resolved. Anybody who has been able to deal with the heart issue is able to deal with the mind issue. But if you don't deal with the heart issue, it will, it will affect your mind. And that is why a lot of times the people who say, my heart is broken, they usually end up with a broken mind. If your heart issue is fixed, even if the are 10 heads, you realize that you realize that all these things yes, they, are, they are they they are they are conquerable. What am I saying? I've said a lot of things, but how does it relate to seeking God? It's about desire. It's about the desire the heart, what the heart wants, what the mind wants, what the heart wants, what the mind wants. It's about desire. So the question is, ask yourself, for the past week, what about God did you desire? Did you desire the Holy Spirit? Did you desire the voice of the Spirit? Did you desire the gift of the Spirit? Did you desire the comfort of the Spirit? Did you desire the person of Jesus, to know Him? Have you ever sat down, cried to think about it? What manner of man is this? that his hair is as white as wool, his eyes are as fiery as fire. He he wears upon himself or he he dons himself with a white raiment, whiter than stone, a golden sash around him. His feet, it burns like bronze. What manner of man is this? Have you imagined, have you given yourself, let's say, an hour, 30 minutes to think about it? the reason why what i am saying to you is even strange to you is because of the issue of what you desire because what you desire is marriage what you desire is money what you desire is education what you desire is a good life to travel have children be in good health now remember all these things they are not bad things to desire But you see, it is about the object of the desire. You have to learn to train your mind to focus on the one that gives those things. On Jesus Christ, on the Holy Spirit, on the Father. You have to learn to wonder about them. What manner of God is this? That The Bible says that the heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. How how big is he? What manner of being? The Bible says that the seraphs they stand upon his throne and they cover their face with their wings and as i say that i see a picture like that they cover their face with their wings they cover their body with their wings so that they will not be so much affected by the glory of god what is the glory of god have you thought about it what is the glory of god and what causes the glory to shine it's about desire and you see the only way your desire will be affected is when you start to dwell on Colossians chapter 3, building yourself to think about heavily things, heavily things, heavily things. When you begin to desire heavily things, the God that formed the heavens and the earth, he will appear to you and he will come to teach you about the things he created. He will give you understanding, insight on how to function in it, how to succeed in it, how to use them, how to fix them, how to create them how to repair them it's about desire the heart and the mind it's about desire we've said a lot of things you see, if the effect of your desire is anger, bitterness, um, disappointment, envy, uh, I can't say, uh, hatred, if that is the things that you desire, and some people you are always desiring things that can never be yours. You are here, you say that I, I will marry Lionel Messi in my next life. Where? Which next life? As for me, next time when God brings me, I'll, I'll marry Elon Max. So, you are desiring the things that a sister has that you don't have, a brother has that you don't have. You are coveting. The Lord hates covetousness. Right? Covetousness means that your desire is stained is with wickedness. That's what covetousness is. And that's what people can kill for what does not belong to them. That's why people commit armed robbery. It's covetousness. They want what they, they don't deserve, they want what they think they should have. Because they think that they deserve what somebody has. So your desire. This week, I challenge you to train your mind to think about heaven. You see, most of us are not even thinking about heaven. I I dare you this week to think continually about heaven. What is in heaven? These things I'm reading in Revelation. A city with 12 foundations. How does it look like? have you even tried to recreate these pictures in your imagination you'll be amazed that when you give your heart to these ends be so easy to find God you'll find him in the midst of the darkness you'll find him in the midst of the storm you'll find him in the midst of the hail. you'll find him in the midst of the fire because you see your heart is where he is heavenly, heavenly. he said that the first man the first Adam is of the earth earthy the second Adam is of heaven he's heavenly the first Adam is of the earth he's a living soul the second Second, Adam, he is of heaven. He is a life-giving spirit. Most of us, we are not able to give life to our body because we are not functioning from the position in the realm where God finds himself. This evening, I'm challenging somebody. Don't think about school fees this week. I know it is due. Don't think about your rent. I know it is due. Don't think about your ailing body. I know you are sick. You are afflicted. You are weak. But I want you to think about heaven. I want you to think about where you will stay when you are in heaven. I want you to think about who will be your neighbor in heaven. I want you to think about the kind of body you will have in heaven. I want you to think about the kind of abilities you will possess and the kind of powers you will manifest in heaven. I want you to begin to think about these things this week. And as you think about these and you read the scriptures associated with the things that you are desiring, you realize that that is how God is found. Is there a God in heaven, the Muslim said, and then he had a dream and Jesus appeared to him and said, he didn't say I am Jesus he said i am isa go to the people of the book and they will tell me about you i am real what did the muslims say he said he was thinking is jesus real it means that he was thinking about the person of jesus whoever seeks him will find him but whoever will seek him will find him isaiah 45 verse 19 says that i have not told the children of Israel that seek me in vain. What they not say, seek me in vain. You are not going to think about heaven. You are not going to think about angels. It's, I, don't wanna, I don't want to. Track, I don't want to sidetrack. But I just, I just want you to think on these three personalities: the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and their dwelling place and their thrones of glory where they sit, the seat and the office that they occupy. I want these things to occupy your thinking this week and after that let's see what the result will be. I know that you've heard me and I know that this word has blessed you. I know that God is great and I know that God himself will help us. I know that God himself will help us get through. As you train your desires and you train to submit your emotions to God and you train to submit your Cause the inspiration of the spirit to find expression in you I know that you will discover who God really is as I am discovering as I said three days ago when he gave me this topic and I began to think about it, I that I don't think about it enough once in a while I get fascinated by it do bible studies on it try to recreate scenarios but I'm just imagining my life if my mind and my heart is preoccupied with these thoughts the kind of glory and grace that will flow through me. To think about Jesus, how beautiful he is, how glorious he is, how generous he is. You know, sometimes, the Jesus that people are preaching about is not the Jesus he wants to show himself to us if you begin to think about him he will show you how he really is jesus is funny jesus is serious jesus is king jesus is a brother jesus is a healer but at the same time he's a comforter and so when you begin to think about all these things you are going to appreciate who he is you're going to understand the office that he occupies. and when these things begin to make sense in you you will realize that satan truly has no power and you see that everything about your life will become better your confidence will soar most times Sometimes the things that you will say and do, the carnal mind will never appreciate it. The Bible says that they can never settle because their mind is enmity with God. I pray that you will not be carnal, that your desires will not be carnal, but your desires will be heavily and spiritual. And as we train our spirit to rule over our soul, I pray this evening that let every mind that is broken be mended. Let every heart that is broken be mended. I don't know, but maybe, maybe in the course of the week, we are just going to next week uh we are going to i just feel a strong edge to do this so next week what we will do is that we we will just go through scriptures that talk about the glory of god the beauty of christ the generosity of christ the kindness of christ the humor of Christ. We just we just want to discover Jesus. Right? We are seeking him. Not what the world has told us he is. Not what some preachers have told us he is. Some people say that even if uh, when we put lipstick on our uh, on our lips, Jesus hates it so much that so we will go to hell. Is that who Jesus is? A man who doesn't want to see us in lipstick. I know that as we begin to think about all these things, we will find him. So next week we will do that. So Lord, I pray for everybody here. Pray for everybody that listened. I ask that you bless this. Meeting you, bless this teacher. These things are very difficult to do, so Lord, I ask for the grace this evening for us to be able to think on you. That as our mind thinks on you, I know that all will end well because you've started with us. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. God bless you for listening. Maranatha, the Lord comes.